what is absorbed from the external world. He goes on to explain that there is a part of the mind-brain that is dedicated specifically to language, just like there is a part dedicated to the nervous system. And this language facility acts like an organ. So what he's saying is that every human is born with a fundamental ability to structure language in coherent ways, regardless of what language they ultimately learn depending on where they are born. Okay, so why do languages mutate? Good question. Well, languages are alive. They are living organic systems, and in order to stay alive, they have to adapt to their environment. Language is inherently adaptable, and since we, the speakers, create it, we define the rules. everyday words that we use now have evolved over time. Villain used to mean farm laborer. Taxation meant fault finding. And incidentally, right now in South Africa, taxing means being on someone's back or bugging them, like the tax man. Some more are pretty, was ingenious. Naughty meant worth nothing. Bonnet referred to a man's hat. Furniture meant equipment, and cheater meant rent collector. Languages also change because of cultural influences. Groups get together, and languages get mixed together. Like, for example, in New Orleans, with the heavy French influence, you get dialects like Creole, which is its own language for a certain community. And it's very hard to understand for other people in the US who just speak standard American English. And this happens all over the world when two groups get together and need to converse and they come from different language backgrounds with the result being pidgin and creole or mixed languages. As I mentioned in an earlier show, the French go to great lengths to preserve the integrity of their language. I'll show you what I mean. Here's an article from about.com. The Académie Française a.k.a. the French language police, recently surprised the francophone world with its choice for the official French translation of email, deciding that the terms commonly used in France, email, mail, and mail, were too close to English. The Academy chose the Quebecois word, Coriel. It surprises some and pleases others that the Quebecois French, which is sometimes belittled as not being real French, had the Frenchiest word of all. And so officially, back on July 12, 2003, the Académie Française chose Coriel as the official French translation for email, and based on that decision, the French culture ministry has now formally banned the word email in all government-related documents, despite the objections of some internet experts. See what I mean? It takes this kind of effort on a national level to preserve a language. By the way, do you know what they call a blog in France? En blog. Here's another interesting note. I know of a group on the Pacific island of Guam who is very concerned about native language, Chamorro. That language has basically been ripped to shreds. 
first in the 1600s with the arrival of the Spaniards, which introduced a great number of Spanish words into the island language, and then again in World War II, when the island was occupied first by Japan and then finally the US. Today, the language is on the brink of being forgotten entirely in favor of American English. The Committee on Guam, led by a guy named Angel Santos and others, proposed a revival of their native language with new words being introduced and a new emphasis in schools on teaching and using the language. See what I mean? A language needs care and nurturing. And being a living system, some languages can die and be killed. The Passion of Christ is a film that was rendered entirely in a dead language, Aramaic. So does that mean the language isn't dead anymore? No, it's dead. A language must be in use in order to be alive and kicking. So why do languages go extinct? Well, looking back into history, we know that Latin was very widespread. And then the Roman Empire got conquered by many different cultures. And language, Latin, branched off into many different versions. And we have French, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, and Romanian. I think everybody knows by now, especially after Rune came out, that there are numerous similarities in various languages. Take the word three. The word three in Swedish is tre, in German, dre. The word nine in Swedish is neo, German, nun, Latin, novum, Greek, nia. And the word night in Swedish is not, German, nacht, Latin, nacht, and Greek, night. There are these kinds of similarities all over the world's languages. We really all have a lot more in common linguistically than we might realize. Linguists explain this phenomenon by grouping all languages, both modern and ancient, into families, like a family tree. The idea is to trace languages back to their common ancestor. So in one language family, Indo-European, we have some interesting siblings. English, French, Russian, and of all things, Sanskrit, and other languages of East India. In another family, Uralic, are grouped 30 languages, including Hungarian, Finnish, and Mordvin. Each of these modern families are traced back as individual groups to whatever older language gave birth to them. So our modern languages are like their children. But bear in mind, these language families are just an imposed construct by linguists in an effort to understand the origins of modern languages. Consider for a moment just what we actually do with language. We use it to describe things, explain things, give opinions, comment, express feelings, dictate, ask for stuff, talk to people, talk to God. Now, what happens when we see something and say something about it to, let's say, a friend? There's a lot more to a simple communicative act than meets the eye or 
ear. Let's say we see a table and then decide to comment on it to a friend. A pattern of light is reflected off the table and hits your eye. As a result of activity in your nervous system, you see the table. The word table is evoked from your memory. If you were Spanish, you would think of the word mesa. If you were French, you would think of the word table. Later, you decide to say something to your friend about the table. Your nervous system causes your lungs to expel air, your vocal cords to constrict, and your lips, jaw, and tongue to take various positions, which produce sound waves that travel through the air and strike your friend's ear or ears. His ears react to the sound waves and activate his nervous system, and he perceives you saying the word table his nervous system produces a visual image of a table. Your friend imagines what you see, although he would probably imagine a different table than the actual one you saw earlier. This example shows that there are a lot of parts to a simple communicative act. Now, to further demonstrate the complexity of just how language works, let's consider the following sentences. A. There is a glass on the table. B. A glass was on that table yesterday. C. Are there any glasses on that table? D. The glass might be under the table. E. I like this table. F. That table looks like a glass. Most expressions are subjective. These sentences show just how expressive and full of variety language is. These ideas cannot be expressed by pictures in your head or on paper, is what I'm saying. Many of the things that we say to one another with language are subjective and cannot be perceived with the senses. That is to say, we cannot see, touch, smell, or taste these abstract ideas. To further complicate things, language is also used to denote respect or conversely disrespect the use of terms like Mr. Usted, very important in Spanish, I learned that, Sir, Queen, Madam, words like this in various languages indicate rank and educational stature, like Esquire, Doctor, PhD. Capital letters, as in the case of proper nouns, can be purposely omitted to denote disrespect as can calling a person by their first name when they are a person worthy of a certain formality when being addressed. This was done very effectively when the former president of Iraq, Saddam Hussein, was constantly being referred to by the current president of the United States, George Bush, as merely Saddam. I hope today's show has demonstrated just how infinitely complex a seemingly simple language actually is. Now multiply that complexity times 7,000 languages on the planet, or even 100 if you take the more popular varieties like Russian, Arabic, Chinese, English, and you still have quite a formidable language barrier. some of this technical background on language is interesting and informative, but in conclusion of this week's show, I would just like to call to mind that however these words come into our heads, they fill our minds. Our brains are full of speech, ads, and brands.
What kind of effect does this exposure have on our brains? See you next time. Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.